Turret. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Have you ever noticed how truth divides? This is one of the reasons why truth is at such a premium these days. Because everybody knows, really instinctively, that truth divides. And we don't really like the idea of division. Therefore, we reflect, we actually reject the truth that would create the division that we don't want to occur. But if it's actually truth, then wouldn't we want to embrace the truth? Wouldn't we want to embrace truth over some form of unity that was actually phony, illegitimate, and calculated to reject all or most of truth? That's what we're facing here today on Viewpoint. That's what we're facing in our country today. And that's why 100-plus Florida churches have filed a lawsuit to leave the United Methodist Church after 70 United Methodist churches in Georgia left last month. Why are they leaving? Is this something that is consistent with the Bible or inconsistent? Is it consistent with the history and heritage of American Christianity? Or is it inconsistent? We want to look at that here today on Viewpoint with open hearts and open minds. And I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And today is no exception. So more than 100 churches have gone to court, suing the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, the UMC, because they want to leave the denomination immediately. In other words, they say, we have fought this battle of truth for so long, and we're not going to fight it anymore. We're going to leave. We're going to embrace truth rather than to continue to pursue a false unity. You see, if you embrace unity outside of truth, it's false. It's phony. It's designed to achieve something ulterior to truth itself. And this is why Jesus said very clearly that truth divides. He did. He said truth is going to divide families. He said truth is going to divide even marriages. Truth is going to divide everywhere you go. Truth divides. Maybe that's why Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Now, we don't hear that preached very much because it doesn't go along with the PC, politically correct, religiously correct version of churchianity these days. But that's what Jesus said. So who do we agree with? Do we agree with Jesus' viewpoint? Or do we agree with a reconstructed, ulterior, alternative view that claims the name of Christ but doesn't follow the precepts of Christ? Except for one, 
and it is the idea of unity. Because actually, as you know, Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 said, Father, that they may be one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. That's what we quote. That has become so popular that for the past 50 years, it has drawn the church into ever-increasing artificial unity. In fact, so much so that it has actually drawn the professing Christian church into unity with virtually all other kinds of religious thinking. Because unity, unity became the ultimate cry. But it wasn't the ultimate cry for Jesus. The ultimate cry for Jesus was truth. Because in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, he begins by saying, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Then he begins to talk about that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Bind them together in unity and oneness that the world may know that thou hast sent me. But the foundation for it all was sanctify or set them apart according to thy truth. Thy word is truth. So here's my question for you. Do you believe that? I don't answer too quickly. Because PC churchianity, politically correct Christianity, has become so popular, so mainstream, that it is not only located within the so-called progressive movement. No, it has progressed into the entire so-called evangelical, Bible-believing church in America, from pulpit to pew. It's regrettable, but it is true. And there are many reasons for that. It's part of the spirit of the age, isn't it? So as we continue to talk about this here today on Viewpoint, I trust that you will listen with an open heart, an open mind, and that as you listen to what other people are saying, to what is happening now on the ground as truth divides, that you will also be allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your own mind and heart. Are there areas in which I also have embraced this PC idea that unity trumps truth, that unity trumps everything? Because if God is love, then surely that means we have to all get along and carve away the keen edges of truth in order to do so. We want to talk about that with an open heart and an open mind here on Viewpoint Today. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. By the way, those of you that are up in the Massachusetts, Connecticut area, I want to urge you to join us for the special breakfast on August 13th, Saturday morning, August 13th, from 8 o'clock in the morning till 11.30 in the morning. It's going to be at the Crestview Country Club in Agawam, Massachusetts. Beautiful, beautiful scene and sight there. Uh, this will be the third year that we have gone there, and uh, you don't want to miss it. It's a, it's a gathering of listeners from all over the broader area up there. We've been on the air there for over 20 years, 
in Massachusetts, Connecticut. Lots of listeners, lots of people value this program there. And I trust that you do as well. But there's one thing about coming together. Yes, in unity, but around the truth. That's what brings them together. It's not unity. It's unity around the truth. And that is a powerful, powerful drawing card. So join us. Uh, You're going to want to go to our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, and make your reservation there. You must make your reservation. You need to do it right away. Do it today. Go there, make your reservation. Bring a friend, bring a relative, bring your spouse, bring your kids. And uh, I do not think you're going to be disappointed. Also, also, we're going to have all of our books there, materials, and including the new book, The Sign. Saveus.org. Make your reservation right now. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. And again, for those of you who are not computer savvy or don't have that handy, you can give us a call to make your reservation for that breakfast. 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or you can send us a check and uh, let us know what it's about. Make sure you give us your name and uh, identification there so that uh, we can secure your place in that breakfast. It's going to be tremendous. Don't miss out on it. All right. We move forward with taking a further look at this matter of unity, 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 this our cry. And I remember going back into the 1970s. This is really where it began. It began with the church growth movement in Pasadena, California, where I was practicing law. Right out of Fuller Seminary, the church growth movement. Who could who could possibly resist church growth? I mean, isn't that great? Isn't that what God wants? Well, it depends on how you look at it. The problem is, Jesus said, I'll build my church, you make disciples. In other words, you draw people together around my truth, and then I'll build my church. But we decided that we didn't quite like it that way. Because, you know, after all, we're Americans, and uh, we're exceptional, and uh, we have a better idea. And the better idea was... We're going to build churches, and we're going to build back better, so to speak, better than what Jesus had in mind. And so we're going to do things that are necessary in order to build what many pastors called great churches. The interesting thing is that God never called us to build a great church. In fact, that whole idea of a great church is antithetical to the Spirit of Christ is antithetical to the Bible itself. It just is. But it's very American. Very American in its thinking, because after all, if I have a great church, then I can market it, and we can get all kinds of notoriety, and we can get recognition, you see, and we can raise money, and we can have all those programs. This is the rationale. 
The problem is that the more you increase the numbers, the more you decrease the truth. Did you hear that? The more the numbers increase, the more the truth is decreased. You know what that is? Because pastors are people, just like you and I. They put their pants on, they're one leg at a time, just like you and I, and they're capable of being tempted and tested. You know what tests a pastor? What tempts a pastor? The desire to be known, to be recognized, to be recognized among his peers, to be recognized in the denomination as successful. And success, American-style churchianity, is defined by how many people are on your membership and how, what, what number of buildings you have, the style of your building, and how much money is flowing into the coffers. That is what defines the success of an American pastor. Yes, even in our evangelical churches. It's unfortunate, but it is true. I grew up in a pastor's home, have uh, been in many, many churches, uh, congregations across the country, uh, many denominations and non-denominations, and the pattern is always the same. Always the same. Why? Because we're human beings, and human beings are subject to compromise. That's right, we, we compromise. We compromise in order to achieve something that we desire that isn't necessarily what God desires. So we exchange. We exchange God's desires for our desires. And then we decide, rather than to put the focus on truth in making disciples, we decide to put the focus on building churches and bringing in more numbers. So it began in the early 1970s with the church growth movement. Donald McGavran and so on there at Fuller Seminary. And then after, I would say, in the mid nineteen early to mid-1990s, then it emerged, it, it moved into the emerging church movement. Actually, the seeker-sensitive movement first. It was the seeker-sensitive movement in the late 1980s. And so the church growth movement actually, shall we say, metastasized, the very spirit of it metastasized into an even more compromising mode called the seeker-sensitive movement. So instead of the church gathered being for the building up of the saints to disciple them, to correct them in righteousness, and to encourage them to do the work of the ministry, all of a sudden, things changed. No, it was about, about reaching the seeker. Not the saint, but the seeker. Now, the purpose of the church gathered was not to gather the seeker in the Bible. It was to gather the saints. You ministered to the seeker out there in the community. When you went out as a minister of our God, having been prepared by your pastor and others, discipled, strengthened, and encouraged, and equipped, and then you went out as a minister of our God, as an ambassador of our God, out into the community. 
And so you then became a true ambassador and a minister in your own right. Not for pride, but set aside, sanctified for the purpose, the holy purpose of God in Christ Jesus. But in the late 1980s and the early 1990s, the church growth movement shifted. And you could say it was the church was dumbed down. The message of the church was dumbed down. And we found it uh, characterized, for instance, one of the, the key uh, groups that manifested this was the Willow Creek group coming out of Chicago. A pastor, I'm not going to mention his name, he's, he's well-known, or was well-known anyway, until he uh, had to leave ministry uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, this Willow Creek group was actually launched not only by this pastor, but by his progenitor, which was Dr. Robert Schuler of the Crystal Cathedral. Dr. Robert Schuler, back in the 19, late 1950s and early 1960s, kind of set the tone for the whole church growth movement. And ultimately, he became a consummate compromiser, even with his television program, Hour of Power, a, a consummate compromiser focusing on feelings rather than the faith, focusing on nice things, being nice rather than being embracing the truth. So that spirit then prevailed into the seeker-sensitive movement that carried on and still carries on to this very day uh, in our churches across the land, including our evangelical churches, the largest churches in the land, uh, and the spirit of the pastors, which has increasingly caused them to compromise, to compromise on many, many, many issues, and to focus on the feelings of the people rather than building the faith once delivered to the saints. In other words, focusing on shall we say, things that would unify people rather than things that would strengthen them from God's viewpoint. That is truth. Truth is like spiritual protein. Truth is like spiritual protein. And you have to have protein. It's sustaining. The unity movement is like Twinkie Christianity. You know, sugar tastes good, feels good for the moment, but has no sustaining power whatsoever. Gives you the sense and feeling of energy for a few minutes, but it does not sustain you. And that's what happened. Now, that background having been explained, we now take a look at Messages that have been coming out for the past several days across the news media, and this one in particular, more than 100 churches there in Florida have gone to court suing the Florida United Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, the UMC, because they want to leave the denomination immediately. 
The lawsuit says that the church leadership is not abiding by the church's book of discipline, which deals with Christian doctrine. The word doctrine actually, meaning teachings, is a replacement word for biblical truth. Christian doctrine is supposed to be Christian biblical truth that defines the beliefs within the church or within the denomination. So the lawsuit is claiming that the leadership of the United Methodist Church, one of the largest denominations in the land, not the largest, but one of the largest, has been unfaithful. Unfaithful to the truth of the Bible. Reports the lead plaintiff, Grace United Methodist Church, sued the conference contending the church leadership imposed a hefty exit payment as a condition of leaving the denomination. Well, the money is only incidental to the real issue. The real issue is Do you embrace the truth once delivered to the saints or not? Do you embrace the truth of the Word of God as Jesus presented it, as it was presented from the beginning of the book in Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Revelation chapter 22? Are you presenting the whole of the Bible as it is presented? So Grace United Methodist Church says you're not. So they sued the conference. Now, Grace United Methodist Church was founded in 1888 as a Methodist Episcopal Church. Long before the UMC, United Methodist Church, was ever founded, and the United Methodist Church was not originally called the United Methodist Church. It became the United Methodist Church by bringing together the Church of the Brethren and Methodist Churches, and therefore was called the United Methodist Church years ago. But they've fallen away fallen away from truth. An officer of the new theologically conservative global Methodist Church denomination that split from the United Methodist Church on May 1st noted it may be the first of several legal battles ahead for the UMC. Now, it's unfortunate that this is being framed as a legal battle. That's not really the issue. The real issue is it is a spiritual battle based around truth or the lack thereof. That's the real issue. It's unfortunate that there's money involved because wherever there's money involved, there's compromise. The Florida now has emerged as an early indicator of what the schism may look like as it begins to unfold across the United Methodist Church. In other words, this is a schism or a dividing according to truth, the word of God. So where is this dividing line? What is causing this division? Last May, the Georgia United Methodist Church officially parted ways with the UMC after years of debate on same-sex marriage and the ordination of openly gay pastors, openly homosexual pastors. So there you have it. That's the root of it. This is not a social issue. 
This is a biblical issue. This is not a political issue. This is a spiritual issue. It's only been made political. But at root, it is not a political issue. It's a moral issue. But even more than that, it is a biblical, spiritual issue. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. In the beginning, God made heaven and earth, and then he made humankind. Male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. Again, male and female created he them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Homosexuals cannot be fruitful and multiply. I'm sorry, lesbians cannot be fruitful and multiply. By definition, they're out of sync with the truth. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Many years ago, I was asked to be a keynote speaker, a lead speaker at a United Methodist Church men's conference. And interestingly, this was about 20 years ago now. Interestingly, I perceived at that time that there was great division among the men. In other words, they were not necessarily prone to be truth lovers. They were denominational lovers. They were bound together in unity by their denomination and denominational affiliation, but not by truth. There was a weakness, a serious weakness there with regard to the issue of truth. God wants us to be truth lovers. He wants you to be a truth lover. If you're not a truth lover, you cannot be a lover of Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. You see the problem? We want to pretend to love Jesus on our terms. We don't like his terms. But this isn't anything new. This is nothing new. This occurred right there in the ministry of Jesus. Do you remember that? Do you remember when people were following him and uh, he was performing some miracles, healing, and turning the water into wine, got a lot of attention that way? And uh, as he was talking with the people, he was relating truth to them, but he did it in parables. 
You know why he did it in parables? I bet you don't know why. Most pastors will tell you that the reason Jesus spoke in parables was to make truth more understandable. That's exactly the opposite of why Jesus spoke in parables. And he said, the, and it's, the Bible says very clearly, the reason he spoke to them in parables is so that only those who were really seeking truth would understand, and they would seek more. The rest of them would not. That's why Jesus spoke in parables, not to make it more understandable. Not to make it easier to understand, but actually to make it harder to understand because Jesus wanted people to truly seek him and to seek out the truth. The scripture says, if you seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. And then I will be found of you. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for you. He's looking for me. He's looking for your children. He's looking for your congregation pastor. He's looking for you, my pastor friends. He's looking for all of us to seek him with a whole heart, not about feelings, but about genuine faith. This is rooted in truth. Jesus sets us apart. He sanctifies us according to his truth. Then, having been sanctified and set apart according to his truth, as truth lovers, Then he says, now those of you that are set aside and sanctified according to my truth, I want, I am praying the Father that you will be one as we are one, that is, as Jesus was one with the Father, that the world may know that Jesus was sent by the Father. Unfortunately, we've done just the opposite. We've tried to make the world know that Jesus was sent by the Father by compromising, by not seeking the truth, by not preaching the fullness of the truth of the Word of God. And we're not talking just about salvation. We're not talking just about sin. We're talking about the whole Word of God. And interestingly, friend, Jesus, the the Bible says very clearly, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. The Father has not changed. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So therefore, the Father is the truth, because I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only uh, speak what the Father tells me to speak, and so on. Are you beginning to get the picture? So what we've done is confused the whole issue and it presented a kind of artificial churchianity. Not genuine Christianity, but churchianity. And truth divides. Truth divides. Did you know the truth is going to divide even more as we proceed toward the end of the age than it ever has in the past? But just think what happened with Jesus for a moment. Just consider it. Remember, people were glomming onto him, and they were he was there with the Sermon on the Mount and preached to the 5,000, preached to the 7,000, divided the, the food among them, and so on. It was all wonderful. 
But then one day, there were 500 that were following him, and he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part in me. They did not comprehend what he said and what he meant. He was actually speaking to them in a parable kind of metaphorical way. In other words, if you don't take me totally seriously, if you are not willing to be to be to follow me as I follow the Father, you can't have any part in me. But they didn't understand. And they turned away. And they said, this is too hard a saying. In other words, what they said was, we like what he's been doing. We like what he's been saying. That felt good. And we had a lot of people following. It was part of the happening. But now with this, no, we can't go there. In other words, they were not genuine truth seekers. And they all left. Every last one of them left. So Jesus turned to his disciples, and he said, are you going to leave also? How do they respond? Where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where should we go? So they hung around. They hung around until his crucifixion, and then every one of them fled. They fled because of fear, And they fled, perhaps somewhat because of shame, that now they were going to be associated with one who was being brought before the Sanhedrin, the highest religious uh, organization in Israel. And now what is that going to mean for me? What is that going to mean for us? I want you to listen very carefully to what we're talking about here. Let's connect the dots. Because what we're talking about right now, friends, is going to increasingly happen in your life, in your sphere of influence, in your family, in your congregation. It's not just in the United Methodist Church. It's everywhere. Even in the church you think is so great. It's there. I've got tears in my eyes when I say this. Because this is exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate to us when he said, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. Endures what? Endures the persecution that comes or the mocking, or the shaming, because of the truth. It doesn't fit the mindset of the moment. It doesn't fit the PC ideas of the culture. It doesn't even fit the PC ideas of the church. And so you're shamed away from the truth. Don't let it happen to you. I don't know if you hear a a certain amount of passion in my voice here. We're pleading the cause of a lifetime, friends, to a jury of our peers, 
the American people, but particularly the church in America, God's warmest audience. That's where the word of God is directed. It's not directed to the pagans. It's directed to those who profess to be followers of the Lord. And God, in his mercy and in his grace and uh, for the desire that you would be one with him, is warning and urging and helping to portray the reality of what is taking place and what is going to take place even the more so as truth divides. There is a reason why the Bible talks talks about a remnant. Some people don't want to hear about that word because it doesn't fit with the megachurch mindset of American churchianity. A remnant? That's not considered worthy of anything. It's sold for bargain basement prices. Just the end of the roll? That's how Jesus described his true followers, particularly at the end of the age, a remnant, despised by the world, considered worthy of nothing because they don't seem to have the mega message of achievement and uh, uh, you know the, all, of, all of the accoutrements of so-called American religious success. Jesus doesn't consider it success. Baptisms alone do not reflect success. Jesus didn't command us to go out and just make baptisms. He said, disciple, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've committed. That's what we don't want. Baptisms, yes. We can count them and mark them. Discipleship, not so much. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. One of the reasons we have fallen away from the truth, my dear friends, is that we have fallen away from the fear of the Lord. It's very simple. We've just fallen away from the fear of the Lord. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're not going to be a seeker of truth. It's as simple as that. You're going to create your own truth. 
You're going to create, we're going to create our own ideas, whether or not they agree with God's, whether or not they're consistent with the words of Jesus or the Apostle Paul or John and so on. Those become relatively irrelevant Mm. when we don't fear the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord is the foundation or beginning of all wisdom. It just is. Jesus said it was. The scriptures say it was, actually, over and over and over and over again. In Psalm 25, 4, it says, the, spirit of the, the fear of the Lord is the secret of the Lord. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And to them, and them only, will he manifest his covenant. It's interesting, isn't it? The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. We don't like that idea. You see, that's one more illustration of our shrinking from truth. And yet the concept of the fear of the Lord is woven throughout the entire Bible, Old and New Testaments. It is so critically important to prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts and our lives that I believe that the Lord prompted me to write a book a few years ago called The Secret of the Lord. It's the hidden truth that defines your destiny. It's a hard, a beautiful little hardback book. $20. $20 will put the, actually will make it available to you for $15. $15 will put the secret of the Lord in your hands. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Again, the secret of the Lord. Let me just also mention to you, you've heard me talk about my new book that will come out just after August 1st. Just right around the corner now. Messiah. Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. And those of you who order that book before August 1st are going to receive a uh, autographed copy if that's important to you. Some people really value that. Other people don't care. But August 1st, if you order that copy, that book before August 1st, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, we'll put it in your hands. Go to our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Again, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. Okay, now... There was a banner, a banner on one of the oldest and most beautiful churches in the country. It's called the Church of the Covenant in Boston, Massachusetts. And here was the banner, a large banner, and here's what was written on it. And God said, protect abortion access for all, ensure black lives matter, honor bodily autonomy, Defend LGBTQ plus rights, end voter suppression, 
turn guns into plows, abandon fossil fuels, provide sanctuary, abolish prisons, disarm hate, speak truth, breathe, in other words, love. That was the banner. What do you think? The author of this article, a Jewish man by the name of Dennis Prager, says, if you need one example of how destructive leftism has been to mainstream Christianity, both Catholic and Protestant, or to non-Orthodox Judaism, this banner would suffice. God says protect abortion access for all? Really? Terminating innocent life, that's God's will? Does this include abortions of viable babies undergone by healthy mothers? Is that too God's will? Ensure Black Lives Matter. Blacks, like every other racial, ethnic, and national grouping of human beings, are created in God's image. But if this banner implies support for the group Black Lives Matter, that's another matter. God abhors groups that affirm racism. The Bible knows that anyone, black or white, can be racist. And as regards to the LGBTQ+, the Bible goes out, out of its way to uphold divine distinctions, such as good and evil, God and human, human and animal, and male and female. When God creates the human being, the Bible asserts that last distinction as clearly as possible. Male and female, he created them. And turn your guns into plows? Really? The Bible says beat your swords into plows, but it also says beat your plows into swords. Wow. Perhaps some prominent conservative Christian church should put up a banner addressing the same subjects. Dennis Prager says it might look like this. God said, protect the life of mothers and their unborn babies. Human worth is not related to race. Honor bodily autonomy and end vaccine mandates. There are only two sexes, male and female. Protect voting integrity. Defend yourself and others. Get a gun. I have blessed mankind with energy. Protect your citizens by protecting your borders. Imprison the guilty to protect the innocent. And if you love me, hate evil. Speak truth, because there's only one truth. In other words, love. Now there it is again. Here's a Jewish man focusing on truth. There's only one truth. And that truth is love defined by God, not defined by American culture. You see, if God is love and God is truth, then things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. Therefore, love is truth, and truth is love. Are you listening? Why would we then compromise truth in order to achieve an artificial form of love that produces an earthly version of unity? Can you imagine if a traditional Bible-believing church put up such a banner, it would make national news. Its leaders would be mocked, dismissed as right-wing religious zealots for putting into God's mouth these words. 
because only left-wing churches and synagogues are allowed to speak for the Almighty. That is, the Almighty as redefined by them. All right. Finally. My friend and uh, Christian brother Michael Brown has a regular article in World Net Daily. This one is titled, Four Tenets of Progressive Christianity. In this article, he says, Progressive Christianity is a movement that is infiltrating and influencing the evangelical church. Some of the most high-profile Christian leaders are a part of it. This movement seeks to reinterpret the Bible, reassess historic doctrines, and redefine core tenets of the faith, while claiming the title Christian, and supposedly boasting a high view of the Bible. And it's sweeping up many unsuspecting Christians into a false view of who God is and how he saves people. The views of many progressive Christians do not fit with biblical truth or biblical principles. They just don't. According to the United Church of Christ in Beaverton, Oregon, the PC politically correct movement began as a movement in 2006 as an alternative to the Christian faith portrayed in the public realm. The statement continues that the leaders of progressive Christianity had grown weary of defining their Christian faith in negative terms. We aren't fundamentalists. We don't believe the Bible is the inherent or infallible word of God. We don't agree that creationism should replace the science of evolution in public schools. We don't believe that God hates gays. We don't believe that people of other faiths are going to hell unless they convert to Christianity. We don't deny the right of women to choose what happens to their bodies. They're defining progressive Christianity, friends. Then they say, the Christian faith is our way of being faithful to God, but it's not the only way. Hmm. And in the same way, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas, said among the eight points of progressive Christianity, They offer this on the list, affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience the sacredness and oneness of life, and that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom in our spiritual journey. In other words, we can decide what's true and what's not. We can make up our own truth. We can even define and redefine God. Another one of listed on their Site is, seek community that is inclusive of all people, including but not limited to conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, women and men, those of all sexual orientations and gender identities, those of all classes and abilities. Friends, this is the collectivization of rebellion. In other words, the rebellion against truth. We're going to create a false unity. 
may I suggest to you that that is precisely what the Antichrist is going to do? That's how he's going to gain his dominion, create false unity. And he's going to be so successful that he will deceive the majority of professing Christians. I'm sorry to have to tell it to you like that, but it's true. That's why the Bible warns about it. Not because you're going to be out of here before any of that happens. No, because you're going to experience it if you're still living, and you do not want to be deceived. Do you? Therefore, we must be prepared. What we do here on this program, we're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Let's be careful. Let's be lovers of the truth. Lovers of the truth. If you want to find out a little bit more about the untruthful counterfeit Christ and his operation and how he will gain dominion, you might want to get a copy of my latest book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. $22, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. By the way, Messiah has exactly the same price, $22, $22. So, I really would urge you to get a copy of these books. They're written specifically for you, for us. They're not just information books. They're books about transformation, about preparation, about being strong in the Lord and the power of His might, about not succumbing to the seduction that is coming upon the earth. It is coming. Do you not see it? Do you not feel it in your bones? It's there. First it came in on little cat feet, and now it's roaring like a lion. Don't let it take you down. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't wait for the other guy to do it. He's not doing it. Let's do it together. God bless. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.